Hello friends, my name is Steve and we're here today to discuss chapters 9 through 12, uh, Katerina, of the Judging Eye. <laughs> Katerina yes, ran ahead I'm a little here. bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just a so little bit. To yeah. So it's my first time reading the books and we're here with Katerina and Daniel. Katerina, would you give us an introduction? Uh, yes. Hi, I'm Katerina. I might have read a little bit ahead by a chapter or so, uh, but... Uh, very excited to be here with you again and this is my second time reading the judging eye um i've been mostly doing the audio which although i was a bit hesitant initially is actually pretty good so i've been enjoying this reread a lot nice. and daniel and i am daniel and i have read these books a couple times before so hopefully I can guide Steve along and help answer Katerina's questions. And hopefully it helps anybody who listens, if anybody listens. I think a few people, a couple of people listening. So if you are or watching, thank you for coming on the journey with us. I'm trying yeah, to talk, list, I'm the trying list to of talk my to questions. people in like 2032. That's who I'm talking to. Could be. The list of my questions is growing, that's for sure. Yeah, seems like there's more and more every time. So on, um, starting with chapter nine, these chapters were kind of, I was expecting something to like blow up or something crazy to happen, but it's kind of um, more establishing a couple of new characters and um, kind of, um, seems like we're building up a little bit. We do, I did enjoy well, I guess we'll get to that later, but I did enjoy hearing other people talk about Kellis and the Holy War that we didn't know, that they're kind of learning about it, like what history, um, you know, kind of recalling history and what, what they went through, what their families went through, and kind of the way that everyone sees Kellis or, you know, how they think of him. But um, Would you hear a little bit about Sammy hearing us when we think? He's not, he's not well, quite gone. Apparently apparently the dead can hear everything but can they actually maybe he's just not dead he's still alive in his head uh, well that's, that's that's one theory I don't know, this whole thing about Kalmomas and the things he says, like, I always wonder, is it just, is he like just trying to drive Esmenet slowly insane? Or is he actually getting at something? The kind of, I'm not sure if this is what it is, but it almost seems like he's toying with her. Like he's just kind of pressing her buttons and manipulating her just for his own amusement. But there may be a bigger, I mean, like with Kalos, there's no mistakes, there's no accidents, so... Maybe he has some kind of a plan. Well, it seems like maybe the voice has a plan. <laughs> not I'm not sure about Kalmomus. Like, Kalmomus seems to act on an instinct quite frequently. Um, but there's... Uh, yeah, it seems like he does... He sort of does try really hard to make Esmenet feel guilty about 
um, Sammy dying and about her neglecting Kalmumas as a result um, in order to manipulate her and, and make her more attached to him, I guess. I took it as he has some kind of weird infatuation with her and he's trying to like isolate her in every way that he can and make himself necessary because he wants all of her attention. That's, that might be how he's broken. Well, it clearly is broken. <laughs> but it seems like he wants her attention more than anything else he wants besides just uh, hurt things. Seems to like to hurt things, kind of. Even if it's just stabbing the earth, right? Mm. But I even kind of got a little sad when he was telling us that I could, I could not be me anymore. I could be Sammy. Poor little kid if he wasn't a psychopath. <laughs> um, I think it made me more sad, made me feel more sad for Asmanette than Kalmomis. Um, I actually enjoy these, these few chapters. Um, I think you really, I think you get a really good sense of her grief and the impossibility of her situation and sort of the conflict between her being the empress who has to be strong and sort of maintaining this illusion of, of power and control and also just being a mother who lost her child and is surrounded by people who don't or not able to show any affection to her or are straight out straight out there to um stab her in the back the first moment they get the opportunity to do it yeah it almost feels like the walls are closing in on her like she's has all this self-doubt and she's you know kind of doesn't want to have all this you know she doesn't want this burden almost and she has this um she's doubting herself and they keep having to talk her back into you know it's this is what the I don't know what exactly Kellis tells her, but it's this is our curse. This is what we have to deal with. We can't choose one or the other. We have to just follow the path. So, I, I mean, I think that probably drive anyone insane, right? I mean, after a while. Except unless you're Kellis, then. Yeah, what, what, did, what did you think of his, uh, his entrance? Because we haven't seen him for the, for the like, 200 pages or so like he's been sort of kept at distance and now he's finally shown up i liked his entrance <laughs> he makes an entrance but um his um his speech and making that woman you know, cower and you know, urinate on herself and everything i think i liked seeing that because it was kind of neat to see what kind of what he's become was very, I thought it was very theatrical, mm. very, a uh, lot of drama. Um, but I liked what he says. I think he tells you something like, wait, what is it? Something about like, be, be happy you can breathe or something like, yes, yeah, he says, taste your breath for it is the mark of my mercy. <laughs> that was maybe a little bit over the top. <laughs> 
but he is like they all think he's the god so i guess he has to make those kind of declarations it, it comes with the job that's to keep up appearances and then his little spying son was hearing like extra in utterals but not magic right and he's like lulling people into some sort of trance, maybe. Yeah, it he knows seems... how he does it or what he does. He woos people. Yeah, it seems it seems it's not just psychological manipulation, but also there are some like bio biological factors involved in that as well. It almost makes me wonder if you can produce some like some kind of like pheromones <laughs> um, to make people more, you know, keen on him and what he has to say. Like charm, he charms people. He certainly does. He told us in that it was, was most live on the edge of heartbeats, trusting their betters and the blind eyes of habit to see them further. Where a few can apprehend the span of entire lives, but you and I do not possess either luxury. We must act according to the dictates of ages, or there will be no ages for anyone to live. And this makes us appear cold, merciless, even monstrous, not only to others and ourselves, but to the hundred as well. We walk the shortest path, the labyrinth of a thousandfold thought. This is the burden the God has laid upon us, and the burden that the God begrudge. That was pretty hardcore. Maybe there's Basically, a reason yeah. for his monstrosity. Except for me. He's, <laughs> he's basically saying that he can see further than the gods. That he can see beyond them and that they they are not able to comprehend the thousandfold thought right maybe he's right or maybe he's done that like his dad told him that could also be an explanation yeah the uh if so basically if we don't he and Espinette don't follow through, then there is no future, basically is what he's telling her, right? So if you don't, if we don't follow this path, then it's the end. No pressure. Yeah, it's, it's very heartless of him because she's like, oh, have you come to comfort me because our son is dead? He's like, well, we have more important things to do because the world is ending and we got to save it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't seem too, uh, too, too bothered by that whole thing. Yeah, it seems like Sammy is just an afterthought for him anyways. And he's, he's trying to manipulate Esmanette so that she sort of accepts that as the truth and um 
I guess the more important for, for, thing for Callis is that she remains in control, at least to some extent. Like that's what he cares about um, most. And they have this like discussion about why she should be the one, uh, why she should be the empress, and why she's in control, like, is in charge of the empire. Um, when there's Smithanet, who objectively probably is a more competent ruler, or he probably has the potential to be a more competent ruler. And he he does say something about Esmenet. Like or about Mathanet not being pure enough, like it like it seems like he'll almost imply that because Mathanet is is Dunyane, um, or at least part Dunyane, somehow he is not immune to the white luck and to the gods, um the conspiracy of the hundred but it wasn't very clear it was very like he did insinuate some things but i it wasn't i wasn't exactly sure what he meant or what, like what makes what made him choose as Manette over Mathanet. he told her the white luck shall break against you and then said He tells her because the anguish that makes mud of all your thoughts, because the fear that stains your days, because all your regret and anger and loneliness, all this makes you pure. And Nathanet might not be so pure. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume he does not feel lonely or he's not. he doesn't feel afraid. But is this just Kellis magic words? Is that really what makes you pure? I reflect back on them saying that like a snake is guaranteed to go to heaven, pretty much. <laughs> but, but what animal wasn't again? I can't remember. I think it was, it was a pig or a wolf or something. It was some kind of innocent. Or was it a rabbit? Wasn't it a rabbit? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was a rabbit. A rabbit definitely goes to hell, but snakes, they're somehow good. Poor rabbits. Yeah, you start started really feeling really uh, really badly for Esmanet because you can tell she's struggling. And I wonder why Mathanet doesn't have a bigger role in all this. Since, but he did a lot in the first series, about in the first trilogy. He, he did a lot of, uh, he accomplished a lot. I think it's, so, why why him and not her, why her and not him? Maybe there's a reason that Kellis doesn't trust him. I mean, he was Moengus' son, af after all. And um, Kellis got rid of Moengus. So maybe he's not... I don't know, maybe he doesn't trust Maintenance enough to actually give him all that power, but he still trusts him enough to keep him the the trial seat, so. I don't know, I guess it's all speculation at this point. 
I mean, if it's if Kallus is doing it, it's for a purpose, right? further than the gods to announce how much he foresees. I love to when, uh, I forget which kid says it, but because um, it, I can't pronounce his name, uh, but he, he's talking about Kellis in one of the later chapters and he's, he says, well, my father's a god. So it's very matter of fact. Oh yeah, by the way, Yeah, I wish I could say that about my father. That would be something. That would be but... something. <laughs> I would even be fine with my father just being a superhero. But God would be cool too. I guess I would be fine with my dad just being normal dad. <laughs> but I'm not even sure he always achieves in that and she's being bad so so uh yeah i guess it depends on your dad and whether or not you'd want him to be that level so the so the next chapter was i think the next chapter was surreal um, can we just sorry can we just oh, uh can we also just go quickly um to the white luck warrior oh i'm sorry that, yeah that was, that was the next chapter was, Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I had it written down. I skipped it. Did you yeah. notice that it was strangely written, Steve? Yes, I, I do notice now. I've, I've been paying more attention. <laughs> I don't be shamed anymore on the podcast. It's okay. Uh, yeah, it's strangely also written in the present tense, which makes me wonder, is there any connection between my Mara and the White Lug Warrior? I've not, I've not figured out anything yet. Like I've not, I don't really have any idea what it could be, but it is strange that those are the two characters that get to be written in the present tense. There's the cat in the first series. Like Was it? Killed by, by a little swathy doll. Was it in the present tense? Yeah. It was, it was okay. I don't remember that. No, I feel shame. I might, I don't, don't try to shame anybody. I'm just trying to have fun. Oh, <laughs> you're muted, Steve. Sorry, I was taking a drink of my tea. Oh, uh, yeah, I just <laughs> was celebrating that I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who missed it. So, Although I missed it like 10 times and Katarina missed it once. So, so I'll take it. I guess I was, I was just weirded out by the fact that we got a POV from a cat, so... I wasn't paying too much attention to the tenses. Uh, I'll, I'll have to go back and reread it. So, okay, there's, so there's a cat, Maimara, and the Wildlife Warrior. That makes it even more difficult to find a connection between those, those three. This is true. And that Petsman Nanathari section was probably the worst thing I've read. I don't know why it appalled me so much, but... <laughs> During the drinking of the stuff ritual, that was just almost, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to skip it. <laughs> well, I, I found it very interesting, but um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was a little bit, 
I would, not not extreme like not like that's not necessarily the word I would use but it's just like I was like what 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 is hap- what you're doing what okay <laughs> um but I, I did find it interesting because um so we so we already heard about the the Yatuarian cult and them being worshipped by like the lower class people and by the people who are kind of at like the bottom of the hierarchy and like this whole scene was very much about Yatwer and and her followers kind of taking their power back or like deciding to fight back um and also like almost like it's like the the female and the male elements are kind of coming together. Like you have the the mother Yatwer, and then you have um, the white leg warrior, and they're sort of like Yatwer, like goes from being giver to being a taker. Like she takes she takes the white leg warrior's youth um, from him, and then he gets like old but like strong. And I mean that part was a little bit confusing. Um, so, but so it was like there was like a lot of symbolism um, that I've not probably deciphered very well, but it's, it's a very interesting scene. It's a little bit bizarre on the bizarre side, I guess. But I mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed it. And then right at the beginning, you see like what does she say? She says that. She talks about one of the white left warrior's descendants, like fleeing and giving birth on a river 1,400 years ago. So 700 years ago, this happened. So somehow she's able to know those things, which are pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. How much past does she know? Telus uses the past to see in the future. How much past does well she seems to have some sort of a connection to the goddess so i would assume that the goddess has yatwer has been has been a lot has been around for a for a while so it would make sense to me that she knows a little bit about the history of, of people and I guess it's I guess it is Yatwer who chose the white light warrior. Or at least maybe there was some kind of a deal made between her and Gilgal. I don't know. Like those are all just like wild speculations. I don't think I don't think we actually learn this, but that's what I would assume. Who knows? I don't. The gods are probably real, though, or a god. Still might only be one god. Tell us. He calls Yatwer his sister, right? Yeah, his sister's dumb. I'll take Laura to her home or something. Mm-hmm. And 
And they also, um, there is, so at the beginning of the scene, Esmenette has to paint her face with uh, her son's ashes. And then at the end um, of the chapter, Sotmanana Fairy paints the sort of the, um, like the, the, the other type, the other type of, um, ritual marking she she paints the white like warrior red with like red lines in his cheeks which i think is supposed to be a symbol of war and it's, it's i guess it's kind of like a yin yang situation like the two are like in opposition but also like complementary to each other well i guess if you have war then it makes sense you have death as well hmm. um I don't know what's I don't know what's supposed to symbolize or mean, but it's just there's some kind of mirroring going on. The, the blood and the seed. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, just this book is something else. <laughs> the blood and seed. We have that written down here for some reason, and then two next to it. You have two more written down next to it? Ooh. It oh, ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> a bunch of W's. Yeah. There's been a few did, ooh, ooh moments. It, it did seem like Pat Smith like, traded strength for youth. It talks about how the white level year's hands got calloused. So we can assume he's not just some little descendant of some random person anymore. Because I think he also is like, I walk, I breathe. Mm -hmm. So that might be him awakening or... Yeah. Um... I am the white luck, I walk, I breathe. Does that mean Yatwar just killed the guy that was originally in his body? That's kind of what I took evil? it as, like, he, he's taken over, or, you know, it's not his vessel anymore. I, I guess I read it, I, the way I read it, I thought he was, like, transformed. Well, like, he was supposed to die, right? He was supposed to die in the earthquake. So it's almost like his life got extended, but for a particular purpose. So I don't, I mean, can you really say he was so like, if he was already, like if he was possessed by one of the gods, like was he actually himself anymore before he, like he was like kind of solidified as the wildlife warrior in that ritual? I don't know. Um, but I don't think he's the same person that he was when he was uh, young and like right before the earthquake. So if you had to choose from one control power, the control power of Yatwar to just completely consume the soul or Kellis just slightly manipulating someone. Slightly? <laughs> yeah, just slightly guiding the conversation. 
like a, a year of political news all in one sentence for people. He just guides guides their daily lives, it seems like. I guess with Callus, you don't even often know that you were being manipulated. Like, I guess ignorance is bliss. So maybe. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm becoming a little bit um, disillusioned. Maybe it's better just not to know. You know, maybe it's better just to live in a, an illusion. Live in the matrix. Yeah, basically. Well, I mean, if you don't know, like, what, what, what does it matter, right? <laughs> Ignorance is bliss is a really old quote. <laughs> Until you're hanging upside down with Kellis. Dying. Or you're that That's unfortunate. Guy. Like, but, um... Thinking he should have killed his daughter and his kids before he got captured. So they didn't get worse than killed by him. I guess, do you want the illusion of control or do you just want to give it all up? I mean, because with Callus, at least you have the illusion. You have the, you can believe that you're in control, but you aren't. No, I mean, I'm, I often think I'm in control, but then, you know, I think back on the things I did today and I'm like, what, 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 like, where did all this come from? So I feel like that's already the situation I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, I find myself in. So it wouldn't be that much of a change. Just keep the status quo where it is. Yeah, it's pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah, but what the uh, the illusion like, you have now is like, oh, I forgot my computer at work. But with Kellis, it's like, oh, I started a holy war. There's you know, varying degrees of. Yeah, I have I have issues with a like. I have authority issues sometimes. I'm not sure I could be compelled to, to, to join a holy war, to be honest. Um, I, I, can't, I can't, it's really hard for me to get like excited about like um, um, things that involve a lot of people. You know, um, like I, I, I hate group sports. I, I don't. You know, if there's a world championship. I don't care about our team if it win, if they win or if they lose. Like, so I, I feel like I'm not the type of person that would get like really excited about going to, uh, you know, invading another country and and um, sacking the spiritual capital yeah, of of my people. Like, like Egypt, though, and then you could just have a whole desert for a home. All alone in the desert. That is very tempting. <laughs> but just, just more generally, these books are not making me more optimistic about um, my uh, ability to control my life and, and uh, my decisions and my actions. Like if anything, it's um, it's been rather decreasing. But it's not as bad as in these books. Your life's better than that. 
you can get through this existential crisis. Well, let's let's talk about this at the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, we'll we'll tab that one. Like right now, I don't have the sense that things are going to get better. So. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as a happy ending kind of series. Yeah, there might someone might end up being happy, but um... yeah, it depends on what you define as happy. If Maybe they... ignorance. You know, ignorance is bliss. Maybe everyone's if... gonna be super happy. Just plug into the matrix, you know. Just plug in and relax. The Icarus come back alive and Sabon dies at the end. Katarina loves it. <laughs> I would love that simulation. Sarsalus shows back up and he's actually the leader of the whole world. The thing called Steve rejoices. <laughs> it's a King Sabon, don't forget King Sabon. Oh, that's right. I thought it was the little part about the holy war and how it's traveling was interesting. Like they're choosing to travel slowly so they can keep their supply trains until the last moment when they take what they call the, the leap. Which sounds like a leap of faith, right? Sounds like a cult. And then they're assuming they can just forage for food after that the rest of the way because they're not going to have anything else. So they'll spread out eventually. But currently, they're all stuck together. And Sorwill finally realizes, he realizes he's like in a group of himself. That Scion group is just a whole bunch of prisoner princes. Mm -hmm makes a friend yeah yeah you can see that i mean finally he has someone he he can talk to and who more or less understands his situation i thought it was very sweet when he got to meet zaranga and they're the young protagonists and when i read them i can tell that they're young they're just like just discovering things. It's mm -hmm. interesting. Whereas it came in like nose, but then he's wrong again. Matt and nose again. No, I I, I appreciate it as well. It's, he does read very young, and it's very. I don't. Know, I just find it. It's very endearing. Like he's such a sweet, sweet person. I really Pork enjoy food. his chapter. Sausage. Sausage, yeah. <laughs> I think it was a nice change from, from going from people like Kellis and Akami and even Espinette in a way that they they know so much and about the world and history and everything by now. So it's kind of nice reading someone who's kind of feeling the way, kind of just trying to survive and you know make their way through. And it seems like they're being manipulated too, like they're they're just there to serve an end. But it was nice him and Sorwheel making a friend and kind of someone he can relate to. 
Yeah, and I mean, I I, I really enjoyed sort of the, the conflict that he's uh, he's going through. Like on one hand, he like he's the king of Sicarpus, and he's supposed to uh, um, avenge his father, and he's he's like kind of expected to avenge his people and defy the Ethnic Emperor. But on the other hand, he's also just a kid, and he's kind of excited about being like being on the road, like being part of an army and excited about the uh, the opportunity to finally uh, engage in a battle and, and make a name for himself. I think it's a pretty interesting conflict. Um, usually, I don't know, like you, I guess usually when you do get these kind of stories where like someone's father is killed and they have to avenge him or they have to like reclaim their title, it's all like, they're like very, you know, very focused and very driven. And usually the story is about like them getting their revenge, but this is more about him sort of realizing that it's very easy to become complacent. It's not, it's, it's really hard to to um, stand up for yourself in, in this kind of situation. So I, I really enjoying this story and he's, he's a really relatable character and he's just so ignorant about the world. He's so lost. Um, which makes him, yeah, like just relatable, mm -hmm. um, and less, maybe less, um, weary and less corrupted than, than the older characters, as, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're just, they're kind of prisoners and Kings just by name only that they're, they're being, and I don't want to say they're being instructed, but they're, you know, they're, um, following certain instructions and doing what they're told and it's just kind of a name only seems like yeah they're more like hostages mm -hmm. than guests or willing participants i would say he is estimate and making it also kind of like hostages in a sense mm. Well, I guess if you if if you're a hostage, there has to be someone who is potentially willing to pay ransom for you, right? Like there has to be a, another party that you you negotiate with that the uh, the captor can negotiate with. I don't think Esmanet has anyone apart from Kellis who would one like would one to save her same for Nathanette so I'm not I'm not 100% sure I agree with that analogy I, I don't know either tell us tell us might also be just the same as solo but to the gods who knows how manipulated anybody is at this point. Yeah. If the White Luck Warrior, like, it all started 1400 years before he's finally the White Luck Warrior, then that's like a long laid plan. And maybe he was just a bargaining chip in the background that Yatwood decided to use. 
hard to say at this point, but you can speculate all of these things currently. Yeah. You could. Um, I also I also really enjoy the fact that we learn more about other parts of the three C's in this chapter, um, particularly about Zayum. Like that's some that's part of the continent that it gets mentioned a few times, but it doesn't play any role as far as I remember in the Prince of Nothing. So this is kind of the first time we actually get to learn a little bit more about uh, that country, country and 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 its people. And uh, I get these like kind of like African, maybe North African vibes from the way it's described. Um, it's just, I mean, it's it's just nice to know that there is more to this continent than the the few nations that we got to know during the during the Holy War. I mean, Sorrel has, like, never seen anyone from Zoom before, so he's taken aback, kind of. <laughs> and then he gets called a sausage, a bunch. A bunch, yeah. Yeah, racism is definitely a thing in these books. Um, what, what do they call, what do they call a commune? Or the, like, the, the Ketchai in the north? Uh, it's the Picts, right? They always call him the pick. Yeah, and then there's like the shit herders. <laughs> I can't remember any of this Sylvendi's like slurs, but there was a bunch of them. Everyone's got their slurs. But at the same time, as My guess, as far as slavery goes, they'll just make anyone who's not been a slave. Kind of like a, every nation considers every other nation inferior if, if they're capable of it. And then yeah, I don't think there is any racial aspect to, to slavery. Um, as you said, they just, if they can, they'll just enslave anyone, anybody. And then uh, it talks about the different way that Sor Will's dad got taken over by Kellis, and I think this Stronga is his name, got taken over. And Stronga says, Sometimes I envy the dead among you. Sometimes he wishes he, his dad would have fought and he would just be dead too. That's that's a pretty strong statement to make in the face of someone who's just lost his father. But I guess the Zeyumi have different, like they just think about death differently. They have a different relationship to their ancestors. I think, I don't know if it's in this part, so do stop me. It's I mean, it's not really spoilers. They worship events, right? Yeah, and it's kind of like the the deeds of their um, of their ancestors is what um, kind of makes them 
like like what what kind of sort of defines their um like maybe like social status as well so it's like having someone like having a someone like dead ancestor who did something great is like it's it's a good thing like i have like a more i guess maybe like more direct relationship but they're dead i don't know yeah they it reminded me of uh, Moonstarred books. Like whenever one of them died, they just added to the story. And they, like at one point, they say we have a book that describes our history, and the book never ends until the line ends. Mm-hmm. And so, just like you're saying, yeah, they can be like, "Oh, my great great grandpa just k- killed this guy and sunk all those ships," and that is their worship yeah so it makes sense that if from you know in some respects it would be more honorable or um yeah it would be more more um honorable for him to have his father um the zaranga's father fight Kellis and and die a hero or a warrior than to um enter into and to be alive but just enter into negotiations with Kellis and sort of um give in into Kellis's influence to some extent at least but i can't think of the word for it like when the ninjas and samurais would commit is that what it was called? Where they just fall on their swords? On swords. Yeah. Mm. Harakiri? Yeah, maybe that's right. Yeah. It, it's like on Earthbound. Yeah, I guess kind of like that. And uh, I think Sorwheel gets a teacher at the end of the chapter like he gets a teacher assigned by Kyutis. his own mandate teacher Pantheus Escalis I guess yeah do what he tells so, you basically oh yeah and he had to get taught how to bow mm-hmm. don't look here I was it don't so he kind of stare at his shoes until he so he can look him in, in the eye, shows he dressed. Look one meter in front of your feet or, or something like that. It is a seppuku, by the way. Mm. Seppuku. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound familiar. I'll remember it again for three months. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we did have... Um, I did think it was pretty uh, interesting the way that the kids stick together because they can spot skin spies or a couple of them can. So to protect themselves, protect each other. And I got, I got the impression just they only trust each other too. I don't think Kelmomas trusts anyone. No. But if you're, if you're talking about the three, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I think we'll that's, get into that in a minute. That family is semi-fractured. 
at this point. Filiopa might be the most normal one that's left there. Nathanette's normal, but he's not technically part of that family. And what was his name? In Raltis, it's like screaming about God. He walked by and it said he just screams and screams and screams until his voice broke. Yeah, but I think it's kill these kids. Yeah, I think it's the first time we get a glimpse of Sirwa is her name, right? Mm -hmm. In the tent, she's in the tent with Moengas and Kyudas. But I'm not sure I can gauge what kind of relationship have they have at the at this point. It was like a young version of the darkness that comes before. Because we had uh, Serwa, Moingus, and uh, Kiyuta. Yeah, a little like, Kellis, yeah, a little like, Serway, and a board, board mayor. Yeah. All in a tent together with some little 16-year-old prince. But it, I did get the impression that he's like the... Lead. Like at the, he's like at the bottom of their priorities. Like they just do not care about him at all. Like he's only there because Kellis thinks he's somehow valuable. But I think everyone else just kind of forgotten about him. Forgotten about him. About or uh, about Sorwheel. Not a part about when he was just thinking about betrayal and how like you tell yourself you gotta wait for the right moment to attack, but then you start committing one betrayal on that upon the next betrayal until you're the Nansa trading with the Fanon. All the betrayals, you don't hate each other anymore. You, you're just at a stalemate. Or you become a believer. Maybe he's going to become another believer. Yeah, it does. I don't remember what the book is called, but there is a book that I think we read, in, read at school where it's, I think the main protagonist, he's, he's a spy. He's, I think he's like an American spy in Nazi Germany. And in order to be a spy, he kind of, you know, he like lives, like he lives with the Germans, he's, he's with the Nazis, and he kind of does things as a Nazi that he wouldn't otherwise do, but he does them so he can spy on them. And then kind of it becomes very blurry, like, is he still just a spy or is he effectively, has he effectively become um Nazi himself. Um so I it's hard. I I don't and I don't envy Sorwheel his um his position at all.
Um, there was something that I'm not sure if I missed, um, but on 253, it mentions that the... Um, let me see if I can find it. That they... Um, uh, he described how the two of them, Hero and King, defeated the No-God in his consult at Cathal Pass and so purchased a year's respite for the entire world. It was a year? Uh, so, okay, well, now we're talking about a commune and this, the scalp oh. is right? Yes, I'm sorry. I skipped ahead a little bit. I had down betrayal, um, so that's why I went to that, but... Yeah, I'm sorry. Let's get ahead a little bit. But Sorwill part, both of Sorwill and his friends, both the Zulini or whatever, they both repelled the No God. So their people said, like, lived forever and ever, and then Kellis just took them. Did, did the No God ever reach Zeum? Like, didn't it? got killed or destroyed uh in at Mangeta. Isn't Zeum like south of Mangeta? Sure. Let's look at the map. I think it's it's like southwest. I haven't mapped the path of the Nogod, but it's well as you can see it. I think Mangeta somewhere here, and then Zeom is like this part. So I don't think maybe it didn't get there. Stayed on the long side the whole time and then came up. I I got the impression that they've just been isolated for a really long time, um, and no one actually like it's like it was either the Norserai fighting amongst themselves or the the Kachai trying to uh, conquer one another, so they never actually bothered or never had the strength to go out and, and try to um, invade or conquer Zoom. Maybe that was it. I, I mean, I could be wrong, though. Like, that's just what I assumed. Someone will remind us in the comments eventually. I'm sure they will. Yeah, we we need we need a we need a crash course in the history of Zoom. I have a week for the history of Irwa. Probably got the ball on. Hmm. But I guess we can move on to Akamian now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. No worries. I don't know why this chapter was there at all. Like, honestly, I don't feel like anything happened. Like, except, like, the only important thing in that chapter is um, we finally know what the non-man looks like. And then we get to know a little bit about the history of, of Sil Ajas or Kill Ajas or whatever it's supposed to be pronounced um but i felt like it just could have been part like it just could have been merged with another chapter like it did feel a little bit redundant like we already know we're going to moria so 
why keep us waiting? <laughs> Jamoria, yeah. Yeah, it did seem a little anticlimactic. Um, kind of maybe a little bit of a refresh, and there wasn't a whole lot. Well, we do learn that the non-man look very similar to the Srank. Yeah. Akamian calls them the true version of Ruin. Instead well, of like a build, three building. true versions. But he has a preference for one of them. Yeah, when he told the story of how it fell, he was saying the non-men themselves are the true version of Ruin. Since the wound plague and all the dead females and then time upon time of repetition until this whole life is like a, a broken ruin. Do you think of like the soul as a temple? His soul is so vast that he can't maintain it all. It doesn't even have to be a temple. I'm just thinking about my apartment. <laughs> like, it's too much. <laughs> And it's literally like one room with a bed. And then that also like there's the moment where I forgot what he started yelling, but he started yelling something. The captain comes over and he's like, that was a thousand years ago, you idiot. And he's like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. You just remembered something. Yeah, I, I mean, we're going to learn more about the Nodman, so I don't want to say too much. But Baker, I think he really, what's so great about the non the non-men is he really gives you an idea of what it would be like to live for so long if life was not all like flowers and rainbows as you get the sense that it is for like maybe, you know, the, the kind of elves that live in Tolkien's books or books that are similar to, to Tolkien. Like he, he he really he it it did change my uh the way I think about you know immortality and and what it would be like to live for such a long time mine too don't tell anyone who says they would want to and not thinking about it right sounds good, but a couple thousand years later it's like I wonder, like, there's a part of me that things I would like, maybe you just don't even need to remember things, you know. Um, so maybe, maybe if I just forget everything, I'm, you know, my, my, like every hundred years, I might just sort of start over and would be fine. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll would just end up the same as the non-men, who knows? Who knows? How many years does a mortal person have to work before he can retire? <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe one day humanity will have to ask that question. 
Yeah, if you're immortal, I think you have some options there, though. Don't have to worry about a career so much. Just have to. Eventually, people, everyone that knows you will die off, and you can just start over again. Yeah, just invest into some property property early on, and you'll be fine. It's a long-term investment. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add to that chapter. Um, my notes scribble in their company symbol and it just looks like chicken scratch compared to the monoliths that the non-men spent thousands of years making. Yeah, this, it does give you a perspective, and I, I guess it would make me feel pretty small if I, if I was standing there underneath a huge carved temple and yeah. saw some scalpers scrabbling some graffiti. But Sarah's unperturbed. He says they were destined to go there. He's surprised they haven't been, been there yet. It's, it's the slog of slogs. There was a little little interaction with um, Amira that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Nila Mench Nila Menchi mentions uh, you have the look and a manner, you have the look and the manner of a lady, and she responds, "My mother was a whore." <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious when I read it. Just her her delivery. Well, it's not untrue. Yeah, just, yeah, I kind of grow into like her a lot. She's pretty cool. She's, she's so is it the most of the people. They have like a handful of innocent people that don't have any magic stain or Damnation stain, I guess. Sir, <laughs> just I think about stains now. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah, it's hard to unthink that. Yeah. So was there anything about the the history of uh, Selages that you were confused about, Steve? Like you mentioned earlier? No, I think just the, um, it mentions the year of respite. I wasn't sure if that's something that they've talked about before, the year. I wonder why it was a year of respite. I think like that, you know, God was trying to go through the long side of the mountain, which is like on the far left side of the mountain. And they had a fight in the past and it was, held them for a year and saved the rest of the world from being destroyed that much sooner. Oh, I see. Gave them a year to prepare. So I think we can move on to the little ninja. The last chapter. Yeah, it was a short chapter, but it, you know, a fair amount happens. 
the little ninja. Without blood, that's pretty impressive. It was quite impressive. Um, but the one I wasn't quite sure I understood what his what Kilmomus's motivation was. Like why why did he decide to kill uh what's her name? Um, wait, I did write it down somewhere. The the matriarch. Saracen, yeah, probably. That sounds that sounds about right. Why? So why why did he decide that she needs to be killed? I I didn't quite catch that. Kind of just thought he was playing around, like just doesn't really see people as people in his mind. He's just playing a game, but I'm not sure if there's a, another reason for it. Just another day on the playground. Yeah. Just stabbing people in the face. Yeah, I don't know either at this point. Maybe. There was that weird part where he's like, thinks he smells better than everyone. He <laughs> yeah. smells better than his dad. And then he smells her and then he goes and picks up a knife. There is a part what like if he is trying to isolate this neck and like only wants her to be happy and focusing on him, she's, she was taking away his attention, stressing Bessonet out. Maybe he thinks he's handling the problem, not creating the biggest problem. So you think he doesn't realize that by removing her, he's basically making Esmenad more vulnerable um, to the cult and to Yatwar. Maybe. Like Maybe the, and the backlash will come from people just assuming that she was the one who ordered the assassination. If, if that's true, there's also the part where he... Like, if I found the skins by I would just leave them and just play with them. I would just hint that I knew who they were. And watch him and spy on them. Yeah. Because spying is his favorite thing to do, maybe, besides finally ending the spying. Who knows his motivations? Maybe it's Sammy. Maybe he's not doing anything. Maybe Sammy really died a long time ago. Jesus was never Sammy. It's all speculation at this point. Yeah, well, the, the, the voice inside his head seems to be very cautious when it comes to Kellis and, and Kellis uh, discovering them. And Kel Momus does not necessarily seem to have that fear. Like, it's, it's always the voice that keeps reminding him how dangerous Kellis is. He's a loose fuse with some inhuman blood. Yeah. Um, there was one little detail when he's when he's climbing out of the palace. He's talking about like the position of the guards, 
um, and so on. And but he also says that he can see the sorcerer's wards around the palace, and it did make me wonder if if that's supposed to um, hint at him being one of the few. Because I think only like, sorcerers. Sorry. It seems like most of his kids could have the gift. Besides Savvy, I guess, because he was just happy. He was just a happy kid. Well, I think Sir Sirwa is the only one that we know of who has the gift. But yeah, it, it made me wonder if if um, if Kel Kelmomis is also a potential young sorcerer, because I don't. I think it's only the it's only the few that can see like they can see sorcerer sorcery, and only want someone who is a sorcerer, sorcerer could see the wards as well. Do you guys remember Kelmomus anywhere before in the book? What? Like the history you... of... There's another Moingus. There's another... Oh, the, the other Kelmomus. Yeah, what did he do? Oh. Um, <laughs> well, he died. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of the important. Well, from what we know, that seems to be like the important thing he did. Um, yeah, but there is another Kelmomus with a C, I believe. <laughs> who? He was the uh, the Kunieric king, Siswatha's friend. So do you think that was Thames' kids or Estimat means his kids? <laughs> That's a good question. Is there any rhyme or reason to it? I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying it's kinda of weird. Well, I think we know that he named Moangas. Moangas to kind of spike Neor. I guess it makes sense that they would want to honor Surway. As he shows Surway and he just said, okay, remember that part. Oh, okay. Forgot about that. Well, Kyudas also does sound like it's been derived from uh, now Kayudi. Um, Filiopa, I don't know. Enriladas, Enriladas, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Maybe there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. I'm the but thing I'm more interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if there is any connection or. I mean, there certainly is a connection connection between Moengas and Nayor, uh, and Mo and Moengas. Well, Moengas and Moengas. Um, <laughs> um, 
I don't know if there is any connection between the Kalmomas and Kalmomas. I'm more con the the part that I found a little bit nagging is how the names change, like how the C's turn into K's and vice versa. It doesn't seem to be like any like specific logic to it. I find that a little bit dis disturbing. <laughs> I like order. I I like to make sense of things, and it's not helping. It's not helping with pronunciation either. Somewhere in the first series, there's like three pages of dialect and like sub-dialect, the root languages and all the bastard languages that spawned from them, and then the ones that died and then the ones that got mixed together. So who knows what's happened in this thousand years since the K and the C, or the C and the K. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll go back and, and reread and see if I can find some rules that would explain to me how those changes occur and how on earth I'm supposed to pronounce those. Like, how how am I supposed to pronounce Kelmomas and with a C the same? Am I supposed to pronounce it the same way? Like, is Kelmomas with a C pronounced just like Kelmomas with a K? I don't know. Oh, I want some clarity. Maybe one day we'll get it. Maybe I'll go look through some old Baker interviews and see. Can't really remember any like after the series was completed, though. Yeah, yeah. If you if if you ever get to interview uh, our Scott Baker, Steve, like the most important question is just asking about the K's and the C's. If I ever get a chance to interview Baker, both of you will be there with me. <laughs> okay, I will ask him about the K's and the C's then. Okay. Wow, well, uh, we made it to a minute and 14, I did in like seven pages. <laughs> yeah. Or an hour and 14 minutes, I mean. The, uh, the, but the, all the all the death and destruction the little ninja caused is um, once again putting Espinette in this position of you know, feeling that people don't trust her. Like you know, they need Kellis to tell them what to do. They don't they really listen to her, and it seems like she's going just getting deeper and deeper in this this doubt, this uh, feeling like people don't trust her, don't um, have faith in her. It seemed like yeah. Kellis came all the way back across like half the world just to set things right. And the one person he set them right with is now a trap, kind of. It was going to yeah. be a good thing, and now it's the, the worst thing that could have happened, maybe. And I think Maintenette mentions at the very end that the circumstances of what happened are kind of incalculable for him. So I guess it's uh, it confirms that Kalmomas is is a factor that no one has factored in, uh, in, in into their calculations. Um, yeah, it does not seem that it does not seem that Kellis is aware of Kalmomas and what he's been what he's been up to, and neither is Mathenet. He's a sort of rogue element in all this. 
causing lots of panic or concern at least that there's skin spies among them. And he's not helped the situation with the Yatuarian cult, for sure. I'm glad that Chuffy is just like a dumb little smart ass baby, not someone who can read your thoughts. He's just so malicious. It's crazy. There's, I think there was a quote at, at the beginning of one of the chapters about fools and and then children. The fool's mistake. Uh, I don't know. The fool's mistake. mistake hurts only himself. A king's mistake hurts everybody else. Yeah, everyone but but them. Yeah, that's that's one of them. But you no, know, the one I'm thinking about it it I think it uh, appeared in one of the earlier chapters. Oh, like it's actually in the prologue, um, and it says, "When when a man possesses the innocence of a child, we call him a fool. When a child possesses the cunning of a man, we call him an abomination." As with love, knowledge has its season. I'm pretty sure that's reverse to Pelmomas. Yeah, that's safe to say. The one, one quote I thought was really good that was small it was the fewer the roads, the harsher the codes. <laughs> the further away from humanity you get, just the more humanity deteriorates, kind of. And it seems to be true. It certainly seems to be true for the for the scalpers. Mm -hmm. Kind of left, kind of, the chapter ended, ended on a little bit of a, kind of what's going to happen next, so. These last four. I know Katarina and Daniel, you have an idea already, but kind of wondering what's going to happen. Because usually, usually these books, like we talked about earlier, end off on some kind of you know, semi cliffhanger. So. Someone said this next chapter is really good. Someone. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite endings to a Baker book. So I hope you'll enjoy it as well uh, once, once we get to it. Hmm. One more week. Yep. Is that it? Four more, four more chapters left. Mm -hmm. Oh boy! <laughs> but they're pretty long. Just, just beware. I think, I think two of them are like at least sixty pages. Oh wow! I'm Which is why I read ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll start reading on Wednesday then. Start reading one day earlier than I usually do. Well, uh, chapter 13 starts on 277. Oh, yeah, it's over 100 pages. Oh, yeah. It's like 150 pages. Cool. Yeah, I just tried that one early early this week. Thanks for the warning. You're welcome. Could, could have been up all night Thursday night. <laughs> I also think it might be 
Well, I don't know if you get the chance, but I, I think it might be worth reading the two still odd just chapters back to back. They're quite um, intense. Intense. A little bit worried when I hear intense and Baker together. But okay, don't don't get your expectations too um, too high. It's as I said, it's 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 one of my favorite endings. It might not be one of yours, you know. Those things happen. Let's say fun. I think it gets kind of fun. Not necessarily a word I would use to describe the ending. Steve, someone who can go watch a horror movie and have fun. Yeah, okay, in that case, maybe yes. Yeah. Amusing. Yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. Fun implies that I'm just join in on horror, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I like to watch a car crash when I drive by. Maybe that's what I mean. Amusing. Not my, uh, not my style of entertainment, I have to admit. Yeah, most people don't like to say it is, but every time I ever drive by a car crash, every car slows down by like 30 miles an hour just to watch and drive just by. get a peek. Yeah, nobody wants to be involved, but from far away, stunts are fun. Well, we'll talk about how much fun you had reading those these last four chapters uh, next week, I guess. We'll find out. Deal. Cool. Anything else you guys can think of? Uh, there is one little detail I found interesting um, during the um, the audience uh, in. Um, at the Edmanian Heights. Do you remember the do you remember the birds in, in, in darkness that comes before? Yeah. That um that were there um that um pooed on, on, on Darius? Yeah. Well it's from what from what, what I read seems that uh, someone decided to someone from the New Empire decided to put a net um on the window so the bird the birds can get in um and i thought it was just a little interesting detail um which that maybe it's supposed to tell you something about callus and the new empire and how he controls his environment i don't know it's just uh it's just just a little detail that that i came across when i was reading those chapters Sammy love to go up and let them go. Yeah. And uh, Kelmomas thought about um, squashing them or something, <laughs> if I remember well. He, he wished he had a rock, but instead he just had a little knife. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he was going to throw rocks at them. And there also, just a small thing was the talk of the, the nail owl Cascamandri. Like getting more bold and more bold outside of the city, and he has Sishwar in, so he still has mages on his side, wizards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's see if we let's see if he's going to play a role. Well, that's at least two two detractors, two fronts of assault to Essenet at this point. I three if you count little Kel. He's really unknowingly assaulting the lot too. Yeah. For mental health, anyways. Now her safety. He's taking resources away from the other threats. Looking forward to the fun, the fun last four chapters. We'll find out. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, so four more to go with the judging eye. We'll get to those uh, next week. So, Katarina, do you want to tell everyone where they can reach you and tell you how wrong you are about the history of uh, Friends of Nothing? Uh, you are more than welcome to shout at me on the page chewing forum. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram at the errand. Awesome. And Daniel, where can people get you to respond? You can just comment in the comment section and we can discuss the difference between mules and horses and all the other incorrect things that I've said so far. I mean, you kind of figure we've, we've done how many of these? It's been going for a few months. We're bound to say something wrong, right? I mean, we're only human. We're not AI, so. Yeah, yeah. I would be curious how much AI knows about the history of Theum. I'm going to try to have chat GPT write my notes for the next four chapters <laughs> as soon as I get off. Cheater. Yeah. Well, cool, everybody. Well, thanks for, uh, for listening, and we'll catch everyone next week for the, the fun finale of The Judging Eye. <laughs>